Hello and welcome to Poetry Comma, but make it relevant full stop with your host Isabel Hodgson. Today I have guest young poet Patrick Benson with me. Say hello. Hello. <laughs> um, today we will be uh, talking through some poetry as per usual and getting into the nitty gritty of what, what Patrick's all about. <laughs> um, so I'm going to start by asking you pretty simple question uh what of which poem of the ones you brought today is your favorite that's a great question uh firstly gotta say fantastic introduction uh that is Thank you. Stellar stuff. <laughs> <laughs> just over and over again down to a t um yeah. <laughs> uh i think uh the poem that i have brought that is my favorite is um a poem called Skymer's Glove by R.F. Langley. Um, It's, uh, um, Langley's a, like, I don't know how old he is exactly, um, but he basically is uh, a 20th century uh, British poet um, who went around and wrote a lot about churches um, and kind of, um, I'm from Norfolk and there's a lot of churches in Norfolk and he just like sat in churches wrote about how it was to be in churches this is not specifically about a church but uh, I think it gives a nice atmosphere Mm. I can see I mean I'm doing a bit of research on him now because I'm I'm a professional and I like to keep updated on what everyone's talking about yeah um and yeah he's been I mean he's been writing fairly recently obviously but um uh, the kind of the books I can see that he's written were mostly uh, released in kind of the early nineties slash late seventies. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, but yeah, do you want to do you want to read it and then we can start getting into it? Absolutely. Okay. This morning in November, in the bar of the Angel, there is an open fire. I tell you this so you imagine it as though the bar and the angel were a place that has been given to itself, full of itself, filled with the things that are here, such as the fire. Not the words, but the flames. This is quite possibly, though, you know, what that's what you have of it. Its hum and pop could not be prior to the poem. You don't take shelter in the darkness and the cold of the open countryside, which in the morning will turn out to be inside the giant's glove. You sit down at the table by the window where you can feel the flames take off your glove, wait for Louise who comes through the door into such places, those given to themselves. You still enjoy the way she does and here she is, grey eyes, black hair, go for the gloves. Fashioned by trolls, the food is tied up in impenetrable iron. The cat is stuck into the shape of sleep and can't be levered off the floor. Your tongue proves chocolate dust on cappuccino froth. It's all as heavy, as hard as that, but it holds good. There is some truth in every bit of it. Louise can help, things on her mind, her fingers lost around the coffee cup. The good spectators will now imagine someone facing her across the table, where otherwise there would be empty space. Someone is called to work on a complete Louise, lever her off the floor, fix her an iron, put her amongst grey eyes, black hair and seat her opposite. That will be me, facing Louise, feeling the fire inside the angel bar, inside the giant's gloves, the window to the left. I will arrive precisely when Louise pricks up her cup, touches the iron, wakes the terrific cats, and both of us are given to ourselves, together with trolls, perhaps an incredible November. Wow. I actually, I mean, I I don't know much about um, 
Langley, um, aside from literally what I've just researched now. Yeah. Um, but I, I don't know if I was expecting that. I really, really enjoy it, especially the line. Um, can't remember it exactly, but like the cat stuck in the space of, well, not space, um, shape of sleep. Yeah. I yeah. like, I love that. I love that. That really stuck out to me. Um, why did you choose this poem uh, to talk about today? Um, well, I think, well, I chose it to talk about because it's one of the ones that I've spent so much time with that um, I could effectively talk about it. Um, but yeah. I think it's, it holds description in a very direct light. There's um, these constant, you know, almost fourth wall breaks where it's kind of telling you that it's describing this scene and you're in this scene, but you also know that it's being described to you. And yeah. like, there's no like mirage, but yet it's also so like vivid as imagery. It's not, you know, there's no like long metaphors or uh, heavy adjective use. It's just very strong images. And that's something mm. that like, um, I don't think is like, or, or, well, maybe it's not like super unprevalent, but at least whenever I see it, then like, I just really enjoy it. Yeah. I think um, image work is so interesting to me in poetry, especially because I think that um, people are really drawn to wanting to create like very like convoluted or strange, abnormal images. Yeah. Um, in an effort to be like incredibly unique, but it's actually so satisfying when you kind of, you can create an image using very basic language that you can, you understand rather than, rather than understanding it kind of, um, you, it's, it's more, it's more of a, I don't know, I don't know how to say that. This is the problem on this show. Yeah. I just feel things, man. I just feel things. It just makes you feel. Yeah. It's like, there's that, one of my favourite poems of all time is um, a Billy Collins, um, which is, it's another poem about poetry, kind of. Um, and he's always like, just listening to the hum of a beehive. That's how I want you to understand a poem. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and I just, I, I, I'm like, I'm like, yeah, Billy, I live by that. I just listen to <laughs> poems. Um, but I, that is genuinely the feeling you get. This is a very, it's a very, um, it's a very easy poem to respond to. Would you agree? Yeah, yeah. And I think so. And I think like that sort of, I completely agree with what you're saying about people like striving for these kind of complex metaphors mm-hmm. and they're trying to hide under these things. Um, I think it's it's almost like, you know, people people can quite often bash sort of pop music, quite mainstream music for almost having an appeal. They say, oh, it's weak because there's, um, it appeals to a lot of people and therefore, you know, there's nothing interesting about it. But actually, like, if you you could easily look at it the other way, or it's quite often I look at it the other way and go, well, you know, if it's got that appeal and there must be something inherent to it, right? Um, Something like the universality is quite often a good thing. Yeah, I have to say, I right, I use this argument to defend Mariah Carey's "All I Want for Christmas Is You" every yeah. single year. Okay, and everyone, everyone's like, "Oh well, it, it's not technically a good song," and I'm like, "How can you say that? It yeah. is 
the best song I can imagine. <laughs> it's like I, obviously it's the like number one song for like I don't even know how many years running. Mm. And like theoretically, like are the lyrics inspiring? No. No. Do they teach me anything? No. No. Do I like feel something deep in my soul when I hear that song? Absolutely, one hundred percent. Yeah, exactly. Every time. Um, so it, yeah, I would definitely agree with that. <laughs> I, yeah, I think you know Mariah Carey's. That's that's reached a stage where it's so ubiquitous that you know I, I'm not sure they could even can be discourse about something. It's like discourse about water, right? Um, but um, <laughs> I, I I think. I think it's like a B-grade Christmas song. It's not quite great, but I think it's definitely overhated. I this is the thing though. Like I will defend that song to the death. I don't. Mm. I don't even like Mariah Carey that yeah, much. Yeah, yeah. But for some reason, that song, I like, I can honestly be brought to tears by it. I don't know why. I don't know why. Well, um, there's the other <laughs> thing that you know if. If you have that visceral reaction to a song, it can only get stronger if everyone mm. else says that it's the worst thing to ever exist, right? Thank you. That's right. I mean, that you've just solved it there. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay, so if that's a B-grade Christmas song, yeah. it's coming up for Christmas, or at least it is for me. I love Christmas. I probably shouldn't, but I do. Mm. Um, and so any chance to talk about Christmas songs, I'll take. So if Mariah Carey's is a B-grade Christmas song, What's your A-grade Christmas song? Um, I would say my classic go-to A-grade Christmas song is River by Joni Mitchell. Um, that's it's... a left That's a that's a, a left field choice. Well, <laughs> I mean, I'd like to be left field, but I don't think it should be. I think the reason why, like all Christmas songs... Okay, so my least favourite Christmas song of all time is... Um, the Paul McCartney one. I forgot what it's called. Uh, Wonderful Christmas Time. Is that it? Oh, yeah. The one with the children. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I hate it because it's <laughs> it's just so... I think, you know, there's. I don't buy Christmas songs that are played in shops to get people happy and buying things. But that is just so nothing as a song. Um, so, yeah, then, you know... Debenhams isn't going to put on Joni Mitchell to get people to buy, you know, slippers. But ultimately, I think that they might get more customers if they did. Um, just actually, you know what? Not even customers, just people sitting in Debenhams. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> My least favourite is driving home for Christmas. Don't know why. Yeah. People love it. I hate, I just, I'm like... Where's the where's the flavour? I'm not enjoying it personally, but that's my opinion. Um, It's I wouldn't say it's the worst, but it's it's not. Does that have any like world worldwide appeal? Is there any like Americans or Aussies who listen to Chris Rea? I doubt it, right? I don't know. Why did I assume that Driving Home for Christmas was an American song? I don't. I just. I think I was. It was. They're they're very they're a driving country. They're a massive they? driving country. Yeah. Road trips. Yeah. Um, I'm not a road trip person. I get car sick. I'm like, ah, just you know, like knock me out, put me on a boat. That's what I want. You know, <laughs> boat. So you get car sick, but not seasick. No, I do. But then people, so many people get seasick that there's an excuse to like just take medication that will put you to sleep, and yeah. you're just like, I'm out. Just um, yeah, fair. 
I'd rather trains though. Trains will forever reign supreme. Yeah, I, I, I'm not afraid to say it. Um, okay, so moving back to the poetry effortlessly yeah. and gently with that segue. Um, how would you say uh, this poem has informed your reading of poetry? Has it at all? The, so the one that I read out. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think it. I think it has. I think um, I. So when I came to university, um, my when I was dropped off, my dad gave me um, Frank O'Hara's lunch poems, um, and I think that facilitated or like catalyzed the start of. Um, my sort of shift from um, writing like someone who is far too attached to Morrissey with no real reason to be to um, just like really liking quite, you know, ultimately quite mundane things. Um, And I think uh, the Skymer's Glove is the, like almost the pinnacle of that. So I think it, Mm. it was, it seems so, you know, he, he he's literally talking about nothing apart from a pub, a waitress, and a cat, and none of those f- characters do anything. Um, but I like that so much that it can be, well, at least to me, can be um, so strong. Um, in in that, I've kind of run off now, but um, no, but that that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well. Um, no, I, I, I completely, I completely understand. I think actually, um, for a really long time, um, I I think poetry has been so focused on meaning, which Mm. I find really interesting is that I, I still, obviously poetry will always have meaning and will always explore like interesting ideas, but, um, well, I mean, wow, what, what a a controversial statement I just made. Um, (laughs) But I actually, I really appreciate poetry, like sometimes for the sake of poetry and just yeah. like, ah, it's, it sounds pretty nice. That's why I really like Spike Milligan. Um, because yeah. like a lot, like what is the Ning Nang Nong? Why do the cows go bong? Like you can read into that, but the, the best part about it is that it sounds hilarious. Yeah. It's so yeah. Funny. Like, uh, yeah. Anyway, I, I, I sometimes just appreciate sounds and language. Uh, (laughs) well i think it's it's interesting because when you say poetry for the sake of poetry that could be like that or i think sometimes poetry for the sake of poetry is like people just being really over descriptive about like you know kind of their personal struggles or um Mm. that sort of thing and like trying to make this like oh the the metaphor of um the park means that it's actually a symbol of, you know, the the Gulf War or whatever. You know, that I'd say yeah. that's like kind of the bad poetry for the sake of poetry, personally. Yeah. I mean I I I've talked about this a lot. I I struggle with people who try and make things universal by trying to connect with literally everyone. Mm, um yeah. I don't think it I well I haven't really seen an example I mean it usually just comes across fairly disingenuous. Mm. Um, 
rather than just kind of exploring things that are simple and uh, like images that are important to the poet who's writing and not necessarily emotional events just I think sometimes people do try and sap emotional content for all that it's worth um and honestly like sometimes it's a lot more satisfying to hear a poem that isn't necessarily about anything quote unquote important but actually recognizing that what's important is all of the small things around us like we there are like you know no one ever talks about tables or like (laughs) random objects i mean they do but they don't like we just kind of exist yeah and then we think too much i i think about like abstract ideas which is fun and cool but it's quite it's quite nice sometimes to connect back to the physical world around you yeah yeah i don't know point (laughs) <laughs> I think yeah no it definitely is a point and I think it kind of works back to the fact that um what we were talking about earlier with regard to popular music that it's like mm. it holds you know by it, it the only reason why things that are popular have no meaning or like very little meaning a lot of the time is that um the only way they the only way they can get popular is by having little meaning it's the classic thing of you know if you make if you make a suit that tries to you know you sell it commercially and it's it's fits everyone well um then it you're making it for no one you're trying to make it for everyone but then it ends up being for no one um where if you have like a very tailored individual thing then you could get it for like a single person or a group and you know neither of those are necessarily inherently good or bad but um um i definitely think examining them is uh, yeah interesting necessary yeah worthwhile worthwhile yeah. let's go with that <laughs> um you mentioned morrissey earlier um and i've openly said on the show that i don't like love his music but mm. i a surprising amount of people um i would say i i don't think, i think probably 50 percent of people on this show have brought up either bob dylan or morrissey okay um and I think that that's a really interesting trend. Um, and I don't know why specifically, like, our age group as well. Because, you know, he's he's had his heyday. I'm, I'm, apparently, he's still doing things. I'm, I'm not very aware or clued up. But um, mm. he's kind of had his heyday. Why do you think that it's, it's suddenly become a massive, I don't know, connect, connection between um, poets at the moment? I've noticed. Why? <sighs> Well, I mean, I'm ve- I'm very disappointed to fit that trend for one. Um, <laughs> that is that's a saddening thing. I think um, it links up with the fact that teenagers, like proper sort of fourteen to seventeen year old teenagers, um, uh, fit this thing of being sort of sad and hating everything. And like trying to rebel against things and then so that plays into the sort of music that the smiths were making but then on top of that then people who are making that music now they're also trying to rebel against because they don't want to be part of the now and the zeitgeist and the mainstream so they like to pick something older um and when the yeah. word still resonates like that um to so many oh as god as it did to 16 year old me um 
for hearing that sort of stuff for the first time, then I, I mean, I'd guess that's the reason. There's like the people trying to replicate those sort of like um, those sort of you know very um, sort of woe is me stuff in the modern era. People who really mm. like still like really stand by the Smiths wouldn't like them simply because the fact that they're modern. Right. I find that, yeah, that's a good, I mean, it's, a, it's probably a very normal state of affairs, but um, maybe slightly sad. I, someone said to me recently um, that One Direction are the only band that have ever come close to being the Beatles. And I was like, I don't, I mean, maybe. I don't, I don't, I'm not enough of a music critic to understand fully what you're going for there, but maybe there's a point in that of like, Someone was I I, I get kind of got what they were meant, which was all of the things that are kind of uncool. Because actually, when the Beatles started out, they were like popular, but they weren't cool necessarily. Yeah, yeah. A, a lot of their music was, you know, I mean, it was teenage girls like One Direction who were like bopping to the Beatles. Um, yeah, and everyone can discuss the musical genius genius of uh, One Direction and whether or not it exists, um, but. I don't know. I found that I found that an interesting take. Um, that is a very interesting take. I mean, I, I'd, I'd love to see in twenty years' time whether you know parents are playing. Does she know she's beautiful or whatever it's called um, to their kids? I mean, that so. is going to be that. It will be a that will be a classic in a few years. Yeah, I yeah. Mean, it is going to be. I, if that's a factual statement. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, right. Moving back to poetry again. Okay. Um, what is the next poem that you've brought for me today? Uh, it's by a author called Sarah Howe. Poem is called "The Present Classification." Brilliant. Okay. Um, being herself a hybrid grotesque, perhaps the Sphinx had some feeling for the man who was both victor and victim. Did a tear trickle down from cheek to breast to paw? What creature goes on four legs, two legs, and finally three? Such celestial ironies have their humbler inquirer in the Sunday school child who almost puts up, but doesn't quite, his prepubescent hand to ask the ageing sister what happened to mankind's expanding family tree one generation from Adam and Eve. This same uneasy story being the funded subject of some doctor of paleoanthropology more used to fingering around flints in lint-free cotton gloves than pondering the stained alleles shuffled and stacked by the exodus of early hominids. She doesn't know it, but she's haunted by those small family pockets of not-yet-people trapped a desert span from extinction, by whether the blackened skull she's nicknamed Miranda unearthed in a dusty cave-site grave and interspersed with the numbered finger bones of her son, her probable lover, and the fragmented fibula of a daughter-slash-granddaughter felt anything like the, ch- the shame their researcher portrays in the euphemism of her title, Stone Age Migrations and the Problem of Excommony. Think how Antigone, in that play that really belongs to her father, is revealed to live in the riddle of being for which neither we nor Sophocles have any adequate words, or her unlikely latter-day incarnation in the plot of Polyansky's grainy neo-noir L.A., Faye Dunaway's fur-draped, ill-fated femme when confronted by the raging private detective who is Jack Nicholson and who loves her, takes each of his slaps, her cheek, then her other cheek, then the first, and again and again, until she can barely speak those two words that sound at first like polarities, until we realise terribly with him that the special violence done to her and to languages, taxonomies, that it is actually possible 
though we have no word to be someone's sister and mother. Cursed offspring of a riddle, blinded Fabian king, left to die in the desert between human and beast. Brilliant. Um, Okay, so, easy question to start off with. Uh, Why did you bring that poem? Uh, I absolutely love it, and I read it, I don't know, probably about two months ago, and I still basically don't have an idea what it's about. Um, well, I mean, to be honest, I, I never really do. Poetry is so hard, man. <laughs> a tired English lit student who's, um, trying to work out some poet that, um, my teacher sent me and I'm just like, poetry's too hard. It's not for me. I'm sure they're very sympathetic to that fact. They must reach that every two weeks, surely. I think everyone must. I I think everyone's lying, that poetry is actually a lie. No yeah. one knows what it's about. No, we completely. We saying things. Um, we hear. But, um, yeah, so w- what draws you to this poem, do you think? Um, I think it's just, it's kind of really sort of, um, like, almost ravenous in its description of things. It's very raw. Um yeah. So the thing that I I think I can draw from it is it's sort of about um, um, like uh, sort of families and genetics and evolution, Um, maybe sort of bringing in a bit of Darwinism to that. Um, And I really like the the take on that is, um, you know, almost apersonal. It's, It's just very like scientific, uh, aggressive, um, historical, um, and kind of questioning, um, you know, the people who come up with these things, um, rather than the people who'd be reacting to their discoveries, I suppose. Yeah. Um, I think poetry and, and science is a, is a really interesting, um, convergence. Mm. I only say this because, um, I went to a really great um, art exhibition the other day at the Scottish Modern. Mm-hmm. Uh, if anyone is in Edinburgh, please go to it. It's really great. Um, where I, I think sometimes when people try to fuse um, art and science too vigorously, it kind of just comes across a little bit awkward and like they're trying really hard to do something yeah but when it works it works really seamlessly and it feels very it feels I don't I I can't describe it in any other way but modern it just feels like it fits very neatly into a kind of modern context I don't know if that's me reading into it too much I don't think so was the was the exhibition about that sort of intersection yeah so it was um Katie Paston if anyone's wondering um and it's all she kind of created a series of installations around the idea of space and um how we kind of interpret it um on earth because obviously we're in space but also it feels separate um and one of her funniest ones she like did a candle that every layer you burn um you got kind of a smell that was further away from earth's atmosphere so you got like started off with forest for earth and then you moved like slowly and and like i think mars was like an old penny apparently okay. mars smells like an old penny <laughs> wow. um 
but it was really clever and the whole exhibition just felt like it fit really naturally um mm. i've noticed sometimes when people kind of try and especially with mechanization i've found this a lot with a really famous example is david hockney's like ipad drawings i felt like that was a bit it was really it was like pushing it too hard it felt it felt i mean not everyone agrees with me yeah this isn't a this isn't a, a val like a more valid opinion than anything else but to me it feels a bit kind of like like someone's trying too hard because obviously technology is becoming synthesized with everything we do now yeah that it only follows that art will be the same um yeah. but sometimes yeah. i feel like people push that too hard and it becomes a bit awkward yeah yeah i yeah i definitely agree i definitely agree and i think you know it plays back to what we were talking about earlier about like um metaphors that are worked a little bit too hard and a bit too abstract for um you know anything sensible uh some people loved her um uh, uh write that sort of thing that they'll you know uh they'll make like almost jokes or like little niche references to 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 science or or mathematics or whatever it is and it, i think really in that it, in most states um then you're only really pleasing yourself because like it, it's it, if no one could really understand it um yeah and i yeah i don't mean understand it in in like a sort of very sort of what does it mean sense but in like a kind of like literally what i don't i don't get why what this concept is um yeah they're using you know fancy terminology and stuff but like that's that seems um that uh exhibition that seems you know very accessible um yeah i think and maybe that's just a perspective of someone who's not necessarily always super engaged with science um yeah i think that sometimes it does feel inaccessible which i think is also like i mean this is what this podcast is meant to be all about which is like poetry isn't actually meant to be really difficult to get into it's Mm. just that it's kind of walls are built up to make it seem more impressive when actually it should just be fun ways of talking Mm. i i think that poetry should just be like fun ways of putting down words um (laughs) which is why i should be like an like a what's it like a primary school poetry teacher I just, I would live and breathe that job. I probably won't be able to handle it because children annoy me. Yeah. But the idea of it makes sense to me. Oh, no. Brilliant. Yeah, no, absolutely. Like, then you can just have fun. There's no sort of, there's no second layer. It's just fun, right? Yeah, exactly. I I, I think that, but I've said that um, to people before. I'm like, I shamelessly love to be entertained. If something's funny, I will love it. Yeah. If it's not funny, I'm not going to love it. Sorry. Yeah. Um, yeah. Sorry yeah. again. Had a joke. <laughs> but okay. Well, speaking of that, uh, that's what I like to read is things that make me laugh. Yeah. What What do you like to read, and what kind of what makes you tick, reading wise and writing wise? That it was seamless transition. Um, wow. <laughs> professional. <laughs> so I think i like to read things that um such a good question uh that is so simple but actually you know you need to think about i i think i i like to read things that are kind of 
beautiful and that could be beautiful in like a lot of different ways um mm. just like sounding beautiful or even like looking or um it can be rhythmic or whatever um uh, and I think quite often like I get like beautiful things from quite sort of contorted disgusting things that like a lot I think a lot mm. of people would be like oh that's that's weird why are you why do you think that's sort of appealing but um I quite like that um I think I like things that make me work a little bit um I don't want things to be um I either if they're immediate then that's fine um but they kind of need to own that fact and if they make you work then great but I think things that are immediate and um like they're more than that i i really that's my least favorite um thing for sure um no that's a a very fair opinion yeah um i think that's i think that's it um what do i like to i suppose was the was that yeah yeah that was the other one um i think i like to write um about I usually I find it really hard to like write from nothing I usually need like a line to and that could be like a line I've said accidentally that I think works or it could be something that someone else has said or it could be like on the internet or whatever I like I I I like getting spurred from that sort of thing um I find it hard to work with no inspiration whatsoever um and so yeah i think i i like to write that i like to write about the mundane i like to write about the uh kind of gory um that sort of stuff yeah i have to say um blood guts and gore are, are some of like my favorite things to read about as well um mm. i have been accused of being quite gory uh in my poetry but i just i can't help it like uh, one of my favorite poems the macabre um is all about like cooking but it's like super disgusting like yeah. about intestines and like i if i actually see gross stuff i'll be like Oop, yeah get that away from me but <laughs> the, but the, kind of the idea of it is really fun yeah um, yeah but you mentioned you know kind of being interested in beauty is there anything that comes to mind to you as very beautiful like an example of an object or a piece of writing that just you're like you know what that is that is beauty um that's a tough question that is that's a very good question and it's like i <laughs> i really don't want to be like one oh um yeah no um just I thought that was my first gonna swear moment but like what of those people who like talk about oh yeah I'm just I, I'm just so in love with beauty like inside and out and all of that so I, I'm not I, oh, I try not to be that I think um I find um I items that I find beautiful I think I was first um or my idea of beauty was first sort of solidified um with uh when i got really into um uh the brand comme de garçon um mm. um and starting starting to learn about 
Kalkubo and how she sees beauty as this kind of like distorted, deconstructed, um, uh, you know, um, how thing how bodies can can be morphed and clothes can be morphed into things that they shouldn't be and it was a sort of reaction to or when she was starting up it was like a complete the complete antithesis of um the sort of hyper sex of um like kind of uh what was really popular at that time which was all the sort of like versace um like tight skinny neon um yeah uh, like tall, dark, handsome men, like, and you know, fashion hasn't necessarily progressed past that, but still, like, <laughs> I think the her idea of beauty is definitely something that um, is is something that appeals to me as always being beautiful. Yeah, I have to say, my the first time I ever like, I I don't know, like the thing that always comes to mind for me when I think beauty is a really like simple I love Matisse's like the dance um and okay. it's purely because I remember seeing it as a child it's the one of just the naked women um and it's like got the blue sky and the green field and it's really basic but I remember seeing it as a child and being like I love that I love yeah. that I don't want to see anything else uh, yeah of course of course yeah 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 um and just yeah being like completely obsessed with it um Mm. and also I someone who I don't necessarily like now it's interesting how our perceptions of beauty kind of change because when I was a child I also loved Roy Lichtenstein um, yeah the guy who does all the pop art um, for for the listeners um (laughs) and he I was like oh my god that's the best that is so funky and cool and now I'm like uh I could give or take it it's not it doesn't massively interest me anymore but it's interesting how our perceptions of beauty change and I don't Mm -hmm. know if that's cultural influence or if that comes from me I haven't really worked it out yet that yeah is interesting because I think Matisse is like um Obviously, he uses like you know his the basis of most of his work is bright colors, which is quite immediately beautiful. But they usually yeah. they're quite often um, you know a bit inexact, or the paintings, or even like his cutout stuff is a lot more um, uh, like he he was using these massive scissors and like it you know it's yeah. not perfect at all. Um, and so yeah, I suppose compared to something like uh, Roy. Is it Lichtenstein or Lichtenstein? I right. I, it's only because I just German GCSE where I'm like, I think it's Lichtenstein, but Lichtenstein. it could be Lichten. I, you know, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna call the shots on that one. I'm not yeah, sure. Don't worry. Um. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Fair enough. But yeah, no, that's uh, I, I find the idea of beauty and what people find beautiful really mm. interesting. Mm. Um, because. It's something that people can like generally agree on. Um, mm. That people have like certain ideas of, you know, th- there are very there are some things to us that are very obviously beautiful. Like I don't know, like especially with I think with Renaissance painters, people like there's people just love them, and even people who aren't necessarily like that interested in art like would love Renaissance painters because there's a very kind of detailed beauty to it. Yeah, but then yeah. um, I, I going back to um, 
Matisse's cutouts, people don't fully agree on those. And especially, I mean, the snail is a really good example because it's one of those things where people go like, oh, that anyone could do that. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I don't know if that's because we see beauty as something that has to be like worked for. Like there has to be a lot of work or talent involved in order to create something beautiful. Um, because I don't know, like theoretically, no, it doesn't require a lot of talent or, you know, technical ability. But yeah. it, does that make it less beautiful? I don't know. Well, I think there's, I think there's sort of, I think firstly, I think, quite often the idea of beauty is and this is not trying to get at you like quite a um colonialized idea um oh, yeah. that people i mean particularly like personal beauty but even like with um artworks and stuff like um i i don't know myself but it'd be really interesting to know like um f- from people from you know um uh, from Africa or South America or maybe even like East Asia what their version of like because you know people call like renaissance like classic art and stuff um and what their version of of that sort of broad yeah. oh everyone likes this stuff um would be um I think also the 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 um the idea of like people having to work for for something to be beautiful is so interesting and that's so capitalistic in nature that you would, there has yeah, to be some sort of blood sweat and tears to come like, towards something yeah, i mean it's it's yeah. so true isn't it that like that you know we're built into a society that says basically um you know if you haven't ideas aren't worth anything unless they're put to hours of sweat and then eventually generate some sort of capital at the end you know they can't just be um like 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 the snail for example just something that someone comes up with and is just amazing in itself yeah I think um I think it's it's really interesting I've had I've um because my mum is South African so I have a slightly strange perspective on because I mean she's also an artist so she all of my kind of knowledge of art comes from her and she has a very like she's a very interesting perspective because she like likes Picasso's work but like really dislikes him as a person because he's so famously robbed a lot of southern African art Mm. or like and just like especially with sculpture like just ripped off ideas pretty shamelessly but was also like incredibly racist yeah Um, yeah. and like was very happy to like and and shapes and ideas that people completely are like obsessed over in Picasso's art were like had been done for thousands of years already introduced to Europe but it was interesting that he was very like he kind of I mean, he had to recognise the genius in it for him to steal it and think like, oh no, this is what I want to do as well. Mm. I want to give this a try. So there must have been some level of respect but then also like just being like, no. Um, like the whole continent of Africa, which is, you know, the most genetically diverse continent in the world is like, 
all of their art is shit. And you're like, ah, but you stole it. Like, you <laughs> stole it. So, yeah. you're shit? I don't know. I, I find that really interesting. And the Forbes in general, obviously, who Matisse is a part of, did that. Like, they stole a lot from, like, especially Southern African influence. Um, okay. Which I, yeah, which I maybe, and that's maybe like a kind of back of my mind thing because my mum's always collected art from around where she grew up. Mm. Um, and obviously South Africa is a very weird country because it's like very racially divided. And so she'll have collections of art from like people from all kinds of cultural backgrounds um, yeah. as well um, and racial backgrounds. Um, and she sees it as collecting South African art rather than collecting art from like specific groups which yeah. is something that I only noticed like when I started growing up and then to her it never felt like that but then I was like oh but is this weird and I don't know it's very interesting that the way that we grow up as well can affect our perception on beauty and I I genuinely believe like part of the reason that I'm drawn to like specific artists like a lot of people hate someone like Chris O'Feely who I, I, I think is amazing um, because he's like a bit like weird and left field and kind of takes European. He, he basically does what Picasso did to African art where he like takes European art and goes, oh, but it is a bit shit, isn't it? Yeah. Which I find very satisfying to look at because um, <laughs> I really like his artwork, but a lot of people hate him. And I don't know if I find it satisfying because of the influences that I had growing up yeah 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 i mean that's a that's a really that's an amazing thing to be surrounded by a, a by from like quite a young age to have what well, i assume you you saying you have some of these things in your house right yeah so yeah my mum's just kind of like always yeah she, I a lot of a lot of things were like wedding gifts from her friends um wow and yeah she also like has kind of done round continent trips um because she's just someone who's very interested in like anthropology generally um and i yeah i uh, it's such a cool thing to grow up around and i think people would come to my house and be like why is there a like naked pregnant belly on the wall made out of coconut husks and i'm like mm. that is so cool you can't do that <laughs> i was like five i was like come on though it's kind of fun yeah um yeah. And yeah, I don't know. I find, I just, I love like people's perception of beauty definitely comes from where they're socialized. Yeah. Um, and how as well. I don't know. I just but love it. It's, it's so interesting as well from when you're talking about art, because art is, art can be more than, or like, okay, visual art um, can be more universal than any other type of, because like poetry ultimately it's very hard to um connect to poetry that is in a language you don't understand um yeah and music probably you know slightly less so you could you can probably you know i I think most people and nowadays especially in eras of streaming and stuff listen to some music that isn't in their own language but art you could you could see a piece of art from anywhere and it's still like um it could still have the same well uh, as you say like um maybe your perceptions are changed but it could still have a resonant resonance with you um mm. 
just because you know you know a, a, everyone can see it right yeah i i mean I, yeah i have nothing that i disagree with there i yeah, yeah. <laughs> i'm just gonna say a big resounding i agree perfect um, <laughs> We're running uh, out of time because I'm just enjoying talking so much. So <laughs> I want to make sure we do get through the poetry that you brought today. So what is your next poem? Um, okay, I'll I'll do a slightly shorter one just for time. Um, I do also <laughs> need to turn a light on. So just a second. Um, so I'm going to do one by. Uh, a poet called Sophie Robinson. Um, So this is prophylactic. And today my heart exists as a surface upon which your broken face is being tattooed. And as I wake, the world whirs promenading as a sitcom with the volume up too loud. We're submerged in the black backwater of East Canals and walking there are holes in my bones which wind sings goodbye to you. Through, there's a hole in your head you wear on the outside and we're slopped in factor 50 nostalgia, gulping down grammar's bile, far off sickness of our former lives. And I wear you as an abacus an adverted bruise. I shan't survive this winter without you and your upright brain to keep mine warm and not bad, no longer needing public muscle to keep tight Virgil. A psalm from celebrities of history to make us safe to fix your fainting face and mine full of spots and shipwrecked girls to keep hold of me out of the window of the Institute of Our Love in Disrepair. Wow. Oh, I love that, especially... um what's it factor 50 nostalgia slot yeah. nostalgia that's that's so clever i love that um why did you bring that poem to uh read today well um uh so she's i really i like her stuff um she's actually from norwich so there's kind of you know, one of the more interesting people to come out of a non-existent Norwich art scene over the past sort of 10 years. Um, but she she writes a lot about... Uh, her, the main body of her work is about sex and about uh, relationships, um, mm. but does it in a no-holds-bars, um, full frontal, emotional, dagger way, where it's no, like... There's no skipping, there's no flowers, it's just, like, well, quite intense. And I um, I, f- I find it so interesting to um, to read. Um, it's one of the, it's, it's uh, the kind of poem that can get an immediate reaction out of me without um, trying too hard. Um, it's also quite hard because of the way it's, there was a few line breaks at, odd places where mm-hmm. uh, I don't quite know how to read it out loud. Um, so I hope that came across okay. But Well, I'll, I'll recommend that the listeners look it up and read it <laughs> while, you, while you read. Um, I, I, we, we, I've talked before about the difficulty of kind of translating paper poets into kind of speech and then mm. also kind of performance poets onto paper. Um, and it's an interesting kind of, I I I don't I want to say genre, but like category difference of poetry that yeah. um, 
people um, who aren't like massive nerds about poetry wouldn't necessarily care about, but people who do are like, oh my god, the difference, man. Yeah. So <laughs> <laughs> um, but um, okay, I'm super aware that we are running out of time, so I just wanted to ask you. Um, what's relevant about poetry to you? How do you make it relevant in your life? And what do you think is relevant about your perspective? Um, well, so I think that... Uh, I think poetry is relevant in my life, not super much in and like a general way it's very relevant in a personal way in as much as I kind of I you know every night read a little bit before I go to bed or in the day and it, it it becomes a sort of backbone and like you know even where not directly poetry but like um sort of um, music or film or whatever like music particularly is something that's a huge part of my life and like lyrical music um um my favorite bands of all time um uh are a tribal quest and the mountain goats who are both very lyrical and two bands i got into before getting into poetry so i think it was sort of like a bit of a gateway and um so that that's very relevant um i think my perspective isn't particularly you know necessary or interesting i don't think i um have you know as a straight white middle class male um from suburban east anglia it's not like i have particularly interesting things to say i would hope that occasionally i have vaguely interesting ways to say those not interesting things but um i i think my perspective is only um relevant in that sort of i i don't write i i try not to write or not even try not to but i just i don't i'm not very good at writing poems with like very deep um emotional meaning because it's it's i i don't think it's the sort of thing that the the world doesn't need more white boy poets moaning about um that sort of thing um i i well i don't know yeah sure. but you're maybe relevant because you're you're not a white boy poet just moaning about things i don't know i i do think everyone has a little bit of a relevant perspective and Mm. i think that's super common i mean i i'll always i think that it's a very common thing especially for um young people at the moment to be like i'm unimportant and like but also be like i'm important at the same time yeah Um, yeah it's like a weird level of like rampant individualism and then also like complete like self-consciousness about that um and not wanting to address kind of i don't know like i I, well that's social media isn't it basically yeah you're constantly told you're the you're the most important thing but also given that everyone else is posting you're the least important thing right yeah and then the and i think it's comparison now is completely impossible to avoid if you want to live a kind of normal young person's life um and so I think that comparing your perspective to other people and being like well of course I'm not like more relevant um Mm. 
it's 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 always going to be it's it's impossible to yeah I think it's impossible to quantify um relevance and I think that um something because I I tutor a lot of kids as well is that um one thing that like they always says like I don't really have any more ideas to add and I'm saying well it's not always about adding things I think people always think that you know you have to in order to be relevant you need to like add something but sometimes it's just um it's important just to relate to things and to other people yeah yeah and you'd like you're only your um like mix of influences comes out within you right so yeah that that was probably incorrect (laughs) what i was saying i think what what i mean is like kind of um i try to look for things to be uh slightly newer in i i I really don't want to repeat and therefore like i try to write about um so i i I love writing about um clothes and fashion and the relation between that and poetry because i don't think it's the i don't think it's a thing that's particularly talked about um and therefore like i think um if my voice were to be relevant it would be and i like i'd i'd I would say to people who are are sort of trying to find a way which their voice can be relevant is try to like pick a niche where you can, you can talk about. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, speaking of the relationship between poetry and fashion, you've released a pamphlet recently on on that basically. Do you want to, do you want to tell our listeners what that's about? I'd love to tell the listeners. Um, uh, Yeah. So I, it was my lockdown project. I basically decided that I wanted to write a poem for each one of the um, Alexander McQueen women's wear shows, um, uh, which there are 35 of um, in total. Um, And yeah, just go through that Um, there. It was, it was an incredible experience just um, during lockdown kind of, I, 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 write or i'd watch a show and take some notes on uh, a night and then the next night i'd uh, like draft it up and then the night after that i'd i'd like finalize it and then put it in in into a document and then basically i was working on it every single day for like six months nearly um and um, it was incredibly rewarding to do um i and i um my girlfriend did some art for it as well and having like a little like consolidated item of something that you've worked on for so long was the nicest thing. So, yeah. Yeah. I have the book uh, or pamphlet. Um, I always just call things books, whatever. <laughs> um, and I can recommend it to anyone that's listening. Um, I really, really enjoyed it. Oh, and before you. we say goodbye, I always ask um, this question um, if aliens invaded the planet tomorrow and decided that they were going to burn all of human culture, <laughs> and it was one one poem you could save because you've got friends at NASA and they're taking you on that that spaceship out of here, yeah. what would you take with you? Um, so I uh, I'm going to flip this question a little bit and <laughs> say that it's it's not quite a poem. It's 
sort of an essay, but it's also by a poet and it's very poetically written. So I think I can just about get away with it. And, yeah, you can. Yeah, yeah. All right. Thanks, thanks, NASA. I, I, I will take your advice. Um, and that is um, "Personism: A Manifesto" by Frank O'Hara. Um, I think it is. Uh, it's an essay where he proposes a new way of of writing and seeing the world called personism, uh, where he declares in it, um, "I am the only person who abides by this so far, but it will take off." Um, I don't. Th- it's been seventy years, and I don't think it has, but. I think if I could bring one thing to inspire a generation, then I would like that to be the foundation of it. Well, thank you so, so much for coming on the show. It's been an absolute delight to have you. Um, And for our listeners, again, we air every Sunday at four, if you're listening to this recorded. Otherwise, you've been listening to this and it's almost five. Um, So thank you very much for listening. We'll see you next week.